wild out there, wild days. Hallelujah. But you know, God has a plan. God is working his plan. And you cannot allow the fear and the worry of the world to come on you. Because there's going to be a lot of things coming up that's going to cause the world to worry and to fear. But you cannot get into that. You need to stay where you need to be in the kingdom. You need to stay in a place of faith and not get wrapped up in that worry and that fear. If you stay in a place of faith, you'll stay in a place of protection. If you get wrapped up in the worry and the fear, then you're going to step out from your protection. God has good for you. He has protection for you. And God will take care of you. So do not get wrapped up with what goes on in the world. But stay wrapped up in him. Think about it when the Israel was in the wilderness and they were bitten by the serpents and the plague spread throughout the whole camp. And the Lord said, look upon the serpent on the, on the, on the pole. He said, if you look, you will be healed. See, that's where the protection is. You've got to keep your eyes where they need to be. And if you do that, the protection of the Lord will be there for you. Amen. Glory to God. God cares about you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people would say, well, if God cares about me, why don't he just take care of me? Because you have to choose to let him. He will not override your will. The greatest gift every human being has ever received is free will. And you have the free will. Not like I want, I want, I want. But you have to act in a way. You know, it's like I could tell my wife, oh, man, I want to take care of you. I want to do so much. But I'm never home. I'm never around. I'm never going to take care of. But all the time I tell, oh, I want to take care. I would take care of you. I take care. But I never do. So my words mean nothing. nothing. And she knows that. Are you with me? So to say to God, I want, I want, I want, is not enough. You have to show that you want. God, God does not operate where he's needed. If God operated where he's needed, there'd be no need in the world. But God don't operate where he's needed. He's operated where he operates where he's wanted. And wanted is not based on I want, I want, I want. You have to live that. If you live that, he will live with you. Amen. Because God is good. Hallelujah. So all he's trying to do is protect you from the devil that wants to destroy your life. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to protect you. Get into the place of protection and you'll be free. You know, within the boundaries of of America from from uh, Montana to Texas, from California to New York. That's the boundaries of America. And within those boundaries, we are free Americans, about to be freer than ever before. But we are free <laughs> Americans. So you can leave the boundaries of America and go to the back streets someplace in France and they'll hang you as a free American. They don't care that you're a free American. Why? Because you're outside of the boundaries. Stay in the boundaries, you can stay free. And that's the way it is with the kingdom of God. And guess what? The boundaries of the kingdom of God is a lot bigger than California to New York. A lot bigger. And in those boundaries is your protection. Glory to God. Glory to God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to start over there quickly. And then we're going to go to Deuteronomy 28. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, <clears throat> he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Lord. Now, you know, you, you, you need to take the word of God personally. Yeah. 
Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law, having become a curse for me. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. All right? So Christ has come to redeem us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. Because he became the curse so that we could be free. So over in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll read verse 15. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, and then verse 15. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you to do today. You see, God, God's just trying to get me to be obedient to him. Well, he knows he's trying to protect you. This is the boundaries of protection. If you'll diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which he commands you today. Not all the commandments from Genesis to Revelation, but what is he talking to you about today? Then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you listen to and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Verse 15. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe all his commands. So what are you doing? Stepping out of his boundaries. Of which I charge you today, then all of the curses will come upon you and overtake you. All right, so he gives us a choice. See, that's spiritual law. So many people don't know about spiritual law. The world is made up of spiritual laws, just like there's natural laws, and we always use gravity as the example. Get up on the roof and jump. It doesn't matter if you believe in gravity or not. Well, I don't believe in that nonsense. Don't matter. Doesn't matter if you know it. Well, I didn't know about gravity. Don't matter. Once you step into the law of gravity, you're hitting the ground. So it doesn't matter if you knew about, oh, I didn't know about spiritual law. Don't matter. Well, I don't believe in spiritual law. Don't matter. It's going to work because it's a law. It's a law. It's been set in motion and there's no changing it. Amen. So spiritual law is up to me that by the basis of my authority and my free will, I can choose which one of those I want to walk in. Isn't that right? What I, make a deci- what I make the decision to walk in is what will come upon me. So in this part of my life, I may choose to walk in obedience to God and the blessing comes on me. But this part of my life, I choose not to walk in the, in the, in the commandment of God and therefore the blessing does not come on my life. My choice, it's not up to God, it's up to you. He left it in your hand. He's done everything he needs to do. Jesus was raised from the dead and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. What does it mean when he sat down? I'm done. He's done all he's going to do. It's up to you. Make your choice. How are you going to live? Isn't that right? Amen. So the blessing and the curse is all spelled out if you read Deuteronomy 28. Now go to verses 38 through 40. Deuteronomy 28, 38 through 40. And it says, You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locust will consume it. And you shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you will neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm will devour them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives will drop off. So what is that curse? Poverty. This is the curse of poverty. 
You work, you work, you work, but you get nothing. That's a curse. Now, if you go over to verse 8, Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, it says, The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your bonds and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So that is what? Prosperity. Prosperity is on the blessing side. Poverty is on the curse side. Make no mistake. God is not trying to teach you something by keeping you poor. God is not trying to get you humble by keeping you poor. That's a bunch of religious garbage. And it's been preached by the devil. Because he does not want God's people to increase in life. And he will justify your lack with humility. Poverty don't make you poor. Poverty makes you broke. And that's all it does. It doesn't make you humble. It doesn't do anything for you except make you broke. Now, when I grew up, I grew up with a poverty mentality. And I lived in that for many, many years. I learned as a child that you couldn't, nobody could ever wear a ring unless they had money. They had to be rich to wear a ring. Only people that had money could ever wear jewelry. Now, I was brought up in the slums of Brooklyn. And um, my father would go into the apartment. We'd come home at nighttime. He'd go into the apartment first and turn on all the lights. And I used to think, oh, my dad is such a brave man. He's going in to make sure there's nobody in there breaking into the apartment and making sure that we can go in and it's okay. I didn't find out until later on that he went in and turned the lights on so all the roaches could run away. I didn't know that because the countertops were covered with roaches. These were the slums. The people that lived in the projects lived better than we did. We lived in the slums. We had a slum lord. His name was Isidore Rich, which, of course, his nickname is Izzy. Is he rich? Oh, yeah. He's making a lot of money off of us in the slums. <laughs> Amen. So go back over to Galatians 3.13. You know, and these are things that I had to learn when I first got saved. That poverty is a curse and prosperity is a blessing. I didn't know that. I thought poverty is just the way you live. It's just the way it is. That's the way it is in the devil's world. So... In Galatians 3.13, again, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is it is absolutely impossible for any person to keep the whole law. Impossible. You can't keep it. There was like 600 and some, it's not the Ten Commandments. There was 600 and some odd points, I believe, to the law. And you had to keep all of them every day and never break any of them. If you broke one, you were responsible for the whole law. And that was an impossibility. And we know in the book of Romans, it tells us that Christ is the only one. He fulfilled the law. Every jot and tittle, he fulfilled it in his actions, in his thoughts, in his attitudes, everything. He fulfilled that law so that we could be free. And now that law is fulfilled in us spiritually. When I received Jesus as Lord of my life, 
I became a new creature in Christ. The old nature passed away and all the new things came into my spirit and they were of God. Isn't that right? So spiritually, we are redeemed from the curse. But you know what? We have a soulish life, our mind, our emotions, and our will, and we have a physical life. So I, as the spirit man, am to control my life, renew and restore my soul and control my body to walk in the way that it's supposed to walk. Isn't that right? So why can I do that? Because the law has been fulfilled in me, which makes me, the spirit being, a very powerful person. And it makes me more powerful than that unrenewed mind, that unrestored soul, and that rebellious flesh that don't want to do what it's supposed to do. So since I have that ability then to control, if I don't, then I'm walking out of that which Christ has provided for me. But if I do, then I'm walking in what he has provided for me, and I'm walking in the freedom of that redemption, redeemed from the curse. So if I'm walking in the things of God and the devil wants to attack me with lack or if he wants to attack me with sickness or if he wants to attack me with disease, then I can take control over that and I can take authority over it, dominion over it, and command it in whatever way I need to to get it off of my body, out of my life. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So he redeemed us from the curse. So I, the spirit man, I am the redeemed. And I am getting my soul under control, getting my body under control so I can live in that redemption that was provided for me. Not just someday, someway, somehow, somewhere in the by and by. But right here, right now. Glory to God. And then verse 14, verse 14 says, in order that, or for this reason, for this very purpose, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, what's the blessing of Abraham? What we just read over in Deuteronomy, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that in order that, for this reason, that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Amen. It's not only the promise of the Spirit, but with the promise of the Spirit comes the provision of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God came, was poured out on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came, He brought with Him all of the provision of redemption to give it out and to distribute it to those that are of faith that would receive it. Faith receives what has been provided. Faith isn't trying to get. Faith receives what has already been provided. You're not trying to twist God's arm. You know, know, I hear these people all the time. Well, we prayed, we prayed, and it just didn't happen, so I guess it wasn't God's will. You didn't know God's will from the beginning. So how can you pray God's will if you didn't know it? If you're saying, I suppose it's not God's will, you never knew it. And if you don't know it, how can you pray? And where's faith? There is no faith. There's an empty hope is all that there is. And I'm tired of those religious people getting on TV and broadcasting that all over the place and people get this idea of God and don't even know God. That affects me. That really bothers me. You talk like that about my father. And it ought to bother you too. 
My father is a good father. And I'm tired of people going around saying that he killed this one, he destroyed that one, he caused this car accident. He, you know, because people, these people think that anything that happens is up to God. So that means every time a bank gets robbed, that was God's will. Every time a woman gets raped, that was God's will. Every time somebody gets their head cut off, that was God's will. What's wrong with people? If God lived here and did the things people say he did, they'd arrest him for being mentally deranged. Even you as a sinner, no, that ain't right. If you being evil know how to do good to your children, how much more is your heavenly father? You know cutting off somebody's head ain't good. You know a woman getting raped isn't good. You know banks getting robbed isn't good. You know your house being broken into isn't good. So why do we blame these things on God? Because you don't know him. And your mind must justify. Otherwise, you can't live with yourself. And your justifications is ruining your life. And it's time you give up your justifications and learn the truth. And the truth will make you free. Amen. Hallelujah. So with the promise of the Spirit comes the provision of the Spirit. The provision of the Spirit is not just about being born of the Spirit, being saved. It's not just about being filled with the Spirit, but it's about partaking all that the Spirit brought, who is the executor of the estate of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the executor of the state. You know, you notice your Bible, you got a New Testament, Old Testament, you know. Well, what is a testament? It's a will. The New Testament is the new will. And a will don't go into effect unless somebody and Jesus and the will is in effect. And it belongs to whosoever will believe. The Holy Spirit as the executor of the state brought to those that are children of the inheritance all of the provision of God. You could say that the promise of God comes through the faith. But the provision of God comes to us living by faith. Amen. Amen. Verse 29. Okay, I'll try to settle down some. We had a good meeting in Miami. Things went very well. We had ICFM meetings over there. Uh, They asked me to do the evening meeting, and uh, things went very well. People were blessed. Uh, That's what they told me, so I take their word for it. Verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, if you are Christ, if you are his, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. It should actually say Abraham's seed because Abraham has more descendants than just those that are of Christ. And But there are the descendants of the, uh, of the flesh and there are descendants of the promise. And the ones that are descendants of the promise are Abraham's seed, the seed being Christ. And those that are in Christ are of the seed of Abraham. And if we are Christ and we are the seed of Abraham, then we are heirs according to the promise. Amen. So I'm an heir according to the promise. I'm not an heir of the curse. So as we saw over in Deuteronomy, one of the curses is poverty. And what is the definition of poverty? 
And if we look at it by the rule of first usage in the Bible, the first time the word poverty was ever used in the Bible is when Joseph was talking to his family when they came to Egypt. Remember that? And the first use of the word poverty means to take away from or to drive you out, the rightful owner. To drive out the rightful owner. That's what poverty is. Poverty is to drive out the rightful owner. And you who are an heir, according to the promise, you are the rightful owner of the inheritance, the rightful owner of the blessing. Isn't that right? You remember the prodigal son? You remember his brother? His brother was an heir, just like the prodigal was. He was an heir, and he had the right to his inheritance. He was the older brother, so he got two-thirds. The younger brother only got one-third, right? And the brother stayed home. He didn't even understand. The brother did not even understand that everything the father had belonged to him. The, the prodigal son's brother stayed home, and the son staying home not only had his two-thirds inheritance, but he had all that the father had. Because the father said, all that is mine is yours. So his brother doesn't even understand that he, not only does he have the inheritance, but he also has all that the father owns. And he never partook of any of it, none of it, none. And he's living right there in the house. Why didn't he partake of it? Because he had a servant mentality. He didn't have this mentality of sonship. He had a servant's mentality. Now, while it's true that we do serve the Lord, we are children of the Most High God. And when you have a servant mentality, you have a poverty mentality instead of a sonship mentality. A sonship mentality is not a poverty mentality. Think about a king, a king sitting on the throne, okay? And all the delegates are coming to see him. Now, his children, do they have to wait in line? No, the children could come in the side door and come right up to the throne. Why? Because they're children of the king. Now, a child with a servant's mentality is going to get in line with all the delegation and wait their turn instead of just running up to the throne. See, you're a child of God. You're not a servant. And you can't have a servant's mentality. You need a sonship mentality. And everything you obtain in sonship, you can use to serve the Lord. Amen? Satan has lied to us. And drove us out of prosperity that Jesus came to give us. He came to give us an abundant life. And he replaces it with what we think prosperity should be. And you know, you might live today more prosperous than you did 10 years ago. But is that the limit? Dear God, I hope not. Because if it is, we're all in trouble. The devil gave us a perverted idea of humility. Took away our inheritance that we are rightfully heirs of, the promise and the provision, and brought to us a perverted idea of humility, that to be poor is to be humble. I don't know why they think that. My family was really poor. I mean, my parents had to go borrow money so they could buy Christmas presents for us. And then it took them all year to pay it off. And then the next year, they'd borrow some more money to buy us some Christmas presents. Being poor is not humble because my family would say this all the time. And I'm sure you've heard this. 
We may not have nothing, but we got our pride. How could you have pride? You're poor. <laughs> we heard that all the time. We ain't, poor, we ain't got nothing, but we got our pride. <laughs> That's what's killing you. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. We've had wrong thinking, <clears throat> therefore, we couldn't have faith. And we couldn't receive the provision of the Spirit. Because it don't just fall on you, it's received through faith. Right. Isn't that right? And your faith in Jesus to be healed, I mean, sorry, your faith in Jesus to be saved is not going to help you in the area of prosperity. It's only the starting point. Because then you can start living by faith, take hold of the word of God, and start believing God in the area of healing, in the area of prosperity, in the area of freedom, in the area of right relationships, in the area of straightening up our personality, straightening up our attitudes and our actions. So that... The blessings of God can just drip on us. Amen. It's not about what we have or what we can afford. It's all about what can we receive. What can I receive from the Lord in this situation? What can I believe God for? I'm not talking about that classical cliche. Well, I'm believing God. It means nothing. What are you believing you know, that's like you saying, well, I believe, you know, I'm going to lunch with pastor after church. Well, you believe that all you want. I didn't ask you to go to lunch. I might have asked somebody else to go to lunch. We ain't going to lunch. Well, you believe that all you want. You can't believe you're going to lunch with me unless I've said we're going to go to let's go to lunch later. And then we come to an agreement. And then we're both looking forward to going to lunch. I hope you would be, but we'd both be looking forward to going to lunch. Right? Yes. So you can't believe me unless you've heard me say something. Right. And you can't believe God with just an unbelieving God attitude unless you've heard something. Because faith comes by, hearing. I thought it came by wanting. <laughs> no, it comes by hearing. Amen. So what can I believe God for? What have I heard? What can I believe God for? What can I plant seed for? And believe God for and receive from God. It's not the power of our hand that's going to bring it. It is our hand doing faith that allows God to bring it. Why? Spiritual law. God has set the spiritual laws. God's not sitting on the throne going, oh, yeah, okay, I'll give this to them. I'll give this to them. God has set in motion spiritual laws. And by your free will, you get to choose which laws you're going to work. It's your free will to jump off the edge of the building. That's your free will to put into operation gravity. It's your free will to get in an airplane and put into operation the laws of lift and thrust. It's your, it's your free will. What laws are you going to operate in? See, this is why people think God's dishing out. Well, I don't know why God gave them something, didn't give something to them. It's not up to God. It's up to y'all. Y'all. Up to y'all. I am from southern New York, you know. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is such an important part and facet. 
of the promises of God. That's why we wrote a book on it, Financial Operations of the Kingdom. Amen. It says, finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still the more. To excel. Excel means to excess, to have an abundance, to stand out or to be outstanding. So he's talking about walking before the Lord, walking in love, walking a life that is pleasing to God, like it talks about in Colossians chapter 1. And you can't do that unless you get filled up with wisdom and understanding from the Word of God. You try, try, try. Little train thought he could. You can't. You need the empowerment of the Word of God and the Spirit of God to do it. So, walking before the Lord, walking in love, walking a life that's pleasing to Him, and we ought to increase in that kind of life all the time. Now, if you increase in that kind of life, it's going to increase the results that that kind of life brings. And what is the desire to excess, to excel, or to be outstanding? We would stand out in a crowd. You know, a lot of people don't like to stand out in a crowd. Well, we're not saying standing out in the crowd based on your own pride and your own attitudes or, or anything like that. But, for instance, you know, when I was in the automotive repair business and we were all standing around and somebody came around and started to tell a joke, and I realized where that joke was going. I'm like, well, I'm not going to stand here and listen to this. So I just walked away. Didn't say anything, just walked away. And I went over to my toolbox and got some tools out to do some work. Well, the guy that was telling the joke worked for the parts department, parts uh, company. And he came over to me later and he says, um, I'm sorry, I, I, di- I didn't mean to uh, offend you. He says, they told me that you are a, a minister, although I was working in the auto repair business. He says, they told me you're a minister and I didn't mean to offend you. I said, well, you know, that's okay. I'm not offended. I just find. He, and he says to me, he goes, yeah, I'm a backslidden Baptist. Maybe you should have walked away with me. <laughs> oh, he was telling the joke. That's right. So you understand what I'm saying? And that just stands out. And you don't try to stand out. You're not trying to make a big deal about it. You're not going, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking. You know, no, you, you just let your light shine. You just let your life shine. And they realize what's happening. This happened at another shop I was working at, and everybody was standing around and doing some stuff and saying some stuff. And again, I just walked away, and I just went over to the job I was working on. And somebody that was standing in the crowd came over to me, and he says, I see you walked away. I said, yeah. I says, I'm just not going to uh, have anything to do with that. And he says, I'm a backslidden Baptist. He says, I should have walked away too. And I just looked at it like, yeah. So it just, your, your life just stands out. I was working in this one shop, and they were always trying to set me up because they knew I was a minister as well as working in auto repair business. And they were always trying to set me up. So one day, this one gal comes in to have her car worked on, and they give me the car to work on. Well, I don't know it, but they're trying to set me up. They want to see how I'm going to act. 
So she comes over and she goes like, so what's wrong with the car? And pretty soon she starts rubbing herself all over me. And I'm like, you know, I'll tell you what's wrong with the car at an arm's distance. Well, what they wanted to do is see how I was going to react. And this is what people will do. They'll set you up and see how you're going to react in situations. Because if you act the wrong way, they'll have reason. They'll have reason to say this God stuff is nonsense. And there's a lot of religious people that gives that reason. Are you with me? So it's not that you're purposely trying to stand out in a crowd, but your life in living right before the Lord, you will stand out in a crowd. The Bible says take pains with these things and meditate on them so that your progress would become evident to all. To all. Now, there are those that may have some spiritual discernment, but they're not the all. The all is all. It means whether people are saved or unsaved, it's to see something in the natural realm. Amen. You know, I've had people say things like, well, you know, you, you, you wear jewelry and, you, you know, you dress nice. That was back when, you know, suits were in. Suits aren't in anymore, but I don't really give a rip. I still like them. <laughs> and I'm going to wear one on Sunday morning. I don't wear one on the other services, but I will wear one on Sunday morning. Because I have too many of them to throw away. Anyway, you know. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, and people would say that to me. So what do you want me to do? You want me to come dressed in rags? Would that be a better witness of the goodness of God, that I'm dressed in rags? I had somebody come to the church back in the 90s, and, and we were teaching prosperity back then because that's what we teach. Not all the time, but we teach a lot on prosperity. And um, they came, and they said, you know, we just moved from up north, and the church we were in always taught on prosperity. They just never showed it. They always depended on the people in the church to take care of them. So that's prosperity that's not working. You're teaching a theology. You're not teaching a life. And therefore, what you're giving out is not life. It's just a dead doctrine. Amen. And there's a big difference between just teaching something and actually living something. And I believe in living what you teach. And you know what? If one person can be at a certain level that you might think you're not, that's proof that you can be. That's all that it is. You know, Jesus was never ashamed. You know, Jesus didn't walk around and go, man, I'm wearing one of the most expensive robes you could ever get. Don't let anybody see it. Don't let anybody see it. This is expensive. This costs money. But he never said, don't let anybody see it. You know when, the, when he was crucified, right? The Roman soldiers, they gambled for his clothes. Not because they wanted memorabilia. Well, this is going to be an important day someday, and I'm going to get this, and it's going to be worth a lot of money later on. No, it's because it was worth a lot yeah. of money. It was a seamless robe that he wore, one piece, and it was very expensive. And he had no problems wearing it. Amen. Standing out in the crowd. Matthew chapter 6 tells us that when we give, it is an act of righteousness. 
He says that the Father who sees in secret will repay you openly. So if we're living a life before God the way we ought to be living, we're going to be blessed by the Father in our life, and everybody's going to see it. And you do not have to apologize for it. Dear God, why do you apologize for the blessing of God? You know, you hear things like, oh, I like, you know, oh, I like that dress you wear. Oh, this old rag, I tell you what. You know, why do you apologize? What's wrong? I mean, why, why do we have to make excuses? How about this? I like, oh, that looks really good on you. You want it? How about that? You want it? You can have it if it fits you. <laughs> I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Why, why, why do we have to excuse the way God blesses us? See, because when you have something, it could have been obtained through the arm of the flesh. You could have worked for it. You could have stole for it. You could have sold drugs for it. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get stuff. Or you could have believed God for it. Nobody would have a problem if somebody was driving up in a Bentley and they were a drug dealer. Well, of course they're going to drive a $350,000 uh, $350, car. They're drug dealers. But let a preacher drive up with one. Oh, bless God, I tell you what. They're just living off of their people. Because pastors and ministers are ignorant. They're so ignorant. They know nothing. They're so, they have such inability to do anything. They need to live off of the people. What the heck is wrong with us? You think that ministers don't know how to invest money? You think ministers don't know how to do deals and sell houses and buy houses? You think they don't know how to do anything to make money any other way except off of people? Do you know that most ministers that I know, they don't even make their money off of the people. I've known ministers that have been renting houses for the last 30 years, and they've made income through that. Other ministers, their land happened to be on property that had oil. I mean, all kinds of things. But yet, because of the jealousy, the covetousness, and the unlikableness of God, we'll just pick, 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 pick. I remember being in a service one time. You don't mind if I go down this road, do you? It's not in my notes. But I remember being in a service one time, and the guy preaching puts his arm out like this, and there is a bracelet about this size, maybe a little bit bigger. And I'm sitting there in the church, and I'm like, well, I wonder how much that cost him. I'll tell you what, he spent that kind. And the Spirit of God said to me, loud, how do you know somebody didn't give it to him? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Which means, what did I know? Nothing. But I had a lot to say about nothing that I knew. And you find that with a lot of people. They have a lot to say about nothing that they know. They know nothing, but they say a lot. You've been there. Yeah, we've all been there. We all know what that's like. It's called opinions. Opinions and criticisms about stuff we know nothing about. But because we're such assumers, 
We assume so much. And you know what assume means, right? Yes, and I'm not saying it. <laughs> but you know what it means to assume. And because we do that, we end up with all these opinions and criticisms about things we know nothing about. And would we ever think to go talk to the person we're criticizing? Well, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where we're at. Where are we at? Thessalonians, let's try verse 9 and 10. It says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So again, he's urging on with increase. He's telling them to do more. Isn't that right? Yeah. Amen. You know, the Word of God never says enough. Do you ever notice that when you read the Word of God, it doesn't come to a point and go, that's enough. Oh, that's enough. The Word of God never says enough. It doesn't say, oh, it's okay, you've done enough. It doesn't say, oh, you know, don't worry about it, you have enough. Oh, you know, you don't need to do that. You already know enough. No, the Word of God always says go for the more than. More than enough. It never says enough. It always says excel, excess, overflow, abundance. That's the kind of words that the Bible uses because that's the kind of God God is. He's a God of overflow, abundance, prosperity, increase, more, 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 more. Well, bless God, how much more do you need? Well, it ain't about me. See, people think you have enough because they're selfish. And all they do is think about themselves. Well, how much do I need? Not about you. How much can you give away? What do you mean give away? Oh, you see? There you go. It's your problem. How much can you give away? You can give away a whole lot more than what you've got, and you can give away a whole lot more than what you think. Amen. Verse 11 and 12. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business, your own business. Say that with me. My own business. Amen. Look at the person next to you and say, not their business. Attend to my own business. And work with your hands just as we commanded you so that in order that for this reason that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. So God's plan for your life is what? To be without any need, to be without lack. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In any area of our life, lack is poverty in any area of our life. A poverty mentality does not just have to do with money. But if there's a lack in my finances, I'm in poverty. If I have anxiety in my life, I have poverty. Because the anxiety drove out the rightful owner, soundness. If I have bitterness, I have poverty. If I have unforgiveness, I have poverty. Any area. The Word of God says that we ought to forgive as Christ forgave us. Well, how did Christ forgive us? He forgave us and forgot about it. Forgive and forget. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins from you. So if I am in unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness, then I'm in poverty because it's driven out the rightful owner. 
I have no peace in my life. I have no soundness in my life. I'm wrapped up in bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. If I'm wrapped up in fear, if I'm wrapped up in hate, I'm in poverty. Drove out the rightful owner of faith. Because fear and, and worry is the opposite of faith. Are you with me? Amen. Acts chapter 4. I skipped over a whole lot. Well, I went off someplace. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. It says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to them was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as they had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian, I think that's how you pronounce it, Cyprian, I'm sorry, of Cyprian birth, uh, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned the track of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now go back to verse 36. <clears throat> so Joseph, he was also known as Barnabas. Now many tell us that Joseph was the rich young ruler. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? I've kept all the commandments from my birth up. That's why he was rich. I said that's why he was rich, because he kept all the commandments from his birth. From, and, and Jesus said, one thing you lack, give to the poor and come follow me. He couldn't do it. He did it now. See, he did it now. Amen. See, the love of money is the root of all evil. When you destroy the root of the evil, evil will be taken care of, and the evil will be destroyed. Lucifer, you know, you don't have to turn over there, but in Ezekiel chapter 28, talks about how Lucifer was the anointed cherub created by God. Isn't that right? He was actually God's right-hand man. He's called the son of the dawn, okay? And it, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 28 that he was internally filled with violence and sinned because of the abundance of his merchandise or because of the love of his stuff. He thought his hand created all the stuff. And he was in love with all of his stuff. And he thought that by the power of his stuff, he could take over God. And that is the root of all evil, the love of money or the love of stuff. Amen. Money is not the root of evil. It's the love of money. And you don't need to have it to love it. Lucifer had a wrong relationship with his increase. So when you read things like this over in the book of Acts, fear comes on a lot of people. Really, comes on a lot of people. You know, I mentioned this over in, um, uh, over in uh, Miami, uh, that, and I've known people, I mean, to have like maybe $40 million and um, say that they're obeying God because, you know, we're giving $500 here. Do you know that in order to really obey God, is to go beyond what you have. To really obey God is to take that step to where it looks like you may not have anything tomorrow. Yeah. 
Are you with me? Somebody that has $40 million will get $500 without a thought. You know? Unless you really love your money. Then it's going to be hard to even give $500 when you got $40 million. So it all depends on where you're at. I remember the time God told us to give everything away. Give it all away. He told us twice to do that. But what you sow is what you... And when you plant a seed, you will harvest. The love of money is what hinders us from obeying God. Now, I'm not saying you ought to run out and just give away whatever you've got to whoever comes walking by. It's all about obeying God, doing what God tells you to do. But here's God trying to get us more. He always tries to get more into our hand. He's trying to put more in our hands so that we, but we won't let go of what we have. You know, so if I'm holding on to this and somebody says, I want to give you a hundred dollars. You can't because my hand is so tight on this. And I have to let go of that in order to receive more. Are you with me? Amen. See, and a lot of people will say things like I'm being a good steward for God. When actually you don't understand what being a good steward is. Because a good steward means to obey the one that you're a steward for. You know, the, the master, he gave talents, which was money, to his servants. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. And they were supposed to then work with those talents for their master. Because they were stewarding for their master, not for themselves. So to be a good steward is to obey the one that you're a steward for. Are we a steward of, for ourselves or are we a steward for God? So if God comes to you and says, you know that $50 I gave you this week? I want you to take 20 of it and give it to so-and-so. Well, you know, I can't really do that. I've got this, i got that, I need this. I, I, you know, well, who are you a steward for? And therefore, what, that which came into your hand, was it because of you or was God blessing you? On the other hand, though, when it comes to spending money, we squeeze out as much as we can out of it. And then we claim I'm a good steward. Because I squeeze every last penny out of this. <laughs> what keeps us from obeying God? It's that love of money because of a poverty mentality. Satan has brought to us and we swallowed it. And it's driven out the rightful owner of prosperity. If you had $50 in your pocket and God says give away 20 and you had a prosperous mentality and you knew that there was more than that, would you have any problem giving away the 20? Would you have any problem giving away the 50? What if you were on your way to the restaurant and you had a certain amount of money to get dinner and God says, as you get to the restaurant, God says, give that money to so-and-so because they need to eat. What would you do? But I'm hungry. What would you do? And what we do many times is look at our circumstances and situation and don't look to the one that we are a steward for. Because he's the one that brings the increase. Yes, he does. Isn't that right? Yes, he Amen. Genesis 32. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Genesis 32, verse 10. It says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servants. 
For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. You know, back in 1974, Pastor Nid, myself, and our daughter crossed the Pacific, and we all owned one suitcase. That's all we owned to our name. And uh, that was it. That was all of our possessions. My daughter had a suitcase. Pastor Nid had a suitcase. I had a suitcase. That's it. That's all that we owned. But now we've become more than a suitcase. <laughs> Amen. So when God says, I want you to give away $10,000, and I say, I can't do that. Then the next thought would be, well, maybe you were happier with one suitcase. Well, God comes and says, I want you to give away $500. You go, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, maybe you were happier before you had that in your hand. That's like the person that said, they, they came to this one pastor and they said, Pastor, I've got such an increase in my business and, my, and, and what I'm doing and my investments and all. I've got so much coming in right now. He says, but it, it, it's so much. He says, the tithe is such a large amount. I can't afford that tithe. <laughs> so the pastor said, okay, well, let's pray. God, let his business go down the drain. He's like, no, you can't pray that. He goes, but then your, your tithe will drop. If it's too much to tithe, we'll pray for your business to go down the drain, and you don't have to worry about such a large tithe. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, don't touch my stuff. Hmm. If I go back to only having one suitcase, I'm not going to have to worry about God telling me to give away anything. Well, what about now in the midst of the economy that we're facing, the inflation, the recession, the high gas prices, the high food prices? And uh, it's only the beginning. Just to let you know, it's only the beginning. And this is why we've been teaching this now for 13 weeks, because you need faith in a prosperity of God because the crap is about to hit the fan. Just so you know, you don't understand that? I need to say it again. You think it's been bad? You wait. You wait. It's going to get worse. Will you go down with it? That's the whole question. Are you going to go down with it or are you going to live above it? It's the only question. You're in the kingdom. You're not a part of the world. Amen. I'm sorry to have to say it like that, but, you know, sometimes ears have to perk up. So here we are in the middle of economic crisis. And the number one thing you need to do is have the Holy Spirit show you where to sow seed. Because your seed is the life of your future. No life comes out from the seed. Amen. God is trying to get us to stretch ourselves, to go beyond ourselves and get us to a place of prosperity, increase, and abundance. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in poverty, poor, wherever you may be, whatever place you may be, in order to press forward, and everybody wants to, but in order to press forward, you got to stretch yourself. You got to stretch yourself into that abundance and prosperity. God's not going to just come over and go, okay, here, you can have this. And you go back to your drug lifestyle because now you got all the money to do it. 
God ain't going to do that. I know from whence I speak. If I allow that poverty mentality to come in and say, nope, I can't do that, it'll drive me out of prosperity of which I'm the rightful owner of. That prosperity belongs to me. My inheritance, I'm redeemed from the curse. It belongs to me. The provision and promise of the Spirit, it belongs to me. He's the executor of the state. He came to bring me all that the Father has. But if I don't stretch myself and move into that, stretch my faith and increase, it's not going to come. It's not what you can afford. It's what can you believe? What can you receive? Isn't that right? It's operating the spiritual law. Will I operate? Which spiritual law will I operate? Will I listen and obey? Or will I not listen and not obey? Either way, you're going to operate a spiritual law. Choose ye this day which one you will operate in your life. Isn't that right? The Holy Spirit deals with us to break bondages in our life and to expand in our lives. He wants us to lead us beyond our own limits to where we can be heroic in our giving and aggressive in our reaping. You know, some people will give and give and give and go, well, God, I'm just waiting on you to... No, you need to get more aggressive in your reaping. The Bible says that you call out and cry out to the harvest. Thank you, Jesus. You cry out for that which belongs to you. There is an enemy out there. His name is the devil, and he wants to withhold from you and hold back, and he wants to continue to try to push poverty into your life, and you've got to push him out of the way and get aggressive on reaping and what belongs to you. It's not God withholding from you. It's not God keeping back from you. It's the devil that is the withholder. And if he can convince you it don't belong to you and God don't want you to have it and you settle for that type of thinking, you're going to walk yourself right out of what belongs to you. It's why it's so important to renew our mind to the truth of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, our, our flesh comes up with things like, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does work? Well, what if nothing changes? What if everything changes? See, there's always the other side of the coin. Your flesh only has 50% of it, and it's always the negative side. Your flesh is Mr. Negative, capital N, Mr. Negative. You know, oh, it's not going to work. Oh, it's not going to change. Oh, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to take place. Oh, this just is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. That's your flesh. But the other side of the coin is what's in your spirit. Well, it can work. It will work because God said, and therefore God watches over his word to perform it. He confirms his word with signs following, and no word of God's will return to him void. It will accomplish what it's sent out to do. Shut up, flesh. Amen. Whichever way you lean to, that's what's going to happen in your life. There's no guessing with God. The, the flesh is always guessing. Well, what if it don't work? What if this? What if? What if? See, that's the guess. But out of your spirit is the truth. It will, it does, and it's going to, and this is what God said. There's no guessing. The guess is done. There's trusting. You trust him, you lean on him, you obey him, and he will watch over his word to perform it. And let me just say this to you. Never give away your money to ministries. I didn't say don't give. I said, don't ever give away your money to ministries. You do not give away your money to things that God is doing. Never give away your money to things that God is doing. 
Never give away your money. You give your money into something. You don't give away to it. Because if you give your money away, it's gone. But when you give your money into something, it'll come back to you. That the money may leave your hand, but it never leaves your life. Not when you sow correctly and you give correctly and sow seed. That money will leave your hand, but it'll never leave your life. You give into something. This is why whenever we do special meetings, have guests come in, we all never mention the budget. Never. Because I don't want you giving into a budget. I want you to give into the purposes of God, the purpose of the meetings, the purpose of the guests, the purpose of what God is doing. That's what I want you to give into, God's purposes. Because God said, I will bless those that bless my purposes, which Abraham is a symbol of. The purposes of God. Are you with me? So don't ever give away your money. You give your money into something. You know, you've invested money through the years. You've invested in retirement funds. You've invested in 401ks, which I don't think they're doing too good right now. You know, but when you put money, thank you, Jesus, when you put money into an investment of some sort, okay, are you giving your money away or are you giving your money into? Thank you, Jesus. See, what are you doing? You, you got that 401k. Are you giving your money away? No. no, you're giving your money into that 401k. And when you give your money into, why are you giving your money into something? Because you're expecting a return. Well, how much more with the kingdom of God? How much more when you're giving it into God and his purposes that he watches over his word to perform it and he's going to bring it back to you? Amen. But we can never do these things with the love of money. But you've got to be a love of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Remember when you didn't have the nice house? Remember when you didn't have the nice car? You didn't have the clothes. You didn't have the money. I remember when I crossed the Pacific with one suitcase. I remember that. And before we got saved, you know, we were determined it wasn't going to stay like that. Things never really worked out very well. You get a little bit ahead and boom, now it's gone. You get a little ahead and boom, now it's gone. You get a little ahead and boom, now it's gone. Steal, steal, steal all the time. But after we got saved, we knew we didn't have to stay that way anymore. Amen. You knew it. You started to get a hold of the word and God has blessed you. Isn't that right? You're not in the same place that you were at 10 years ago. Five years ago, two years ago, God has blessed you. God owns everything. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and we're a steward. So all we have to do is obey God with what he has allowed us to use. Amen. You know, like in the church, people think, you know, in the church, you know, oh, you have this, you have that. I own nothing here. Nothing here is mine. I don't own any of it. We use it, but I don't own any of it. Are you with me? We're blessed to be able to use it, but don't, I don't own any of it. It all belongs to a corporation, actually. Amen? Amen. But we're blessed to be able to use it. So we're blessed to be uh, able to use the things of the earth that God's blessed us with, and we're a steward. So all we have to do is obey God. The Word says, Today I set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life. 
that you and your seed may live. Choose life by loving the Lord, by obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Isn't that right? God wants to stretch you. He wants to stretch you. We get nervous. We worry. We get fearful. And poverty is is robbing us. And we're running from the avenue of the blessing and running down the road of the curse. Because we're following the road of worry. We're following the road of fear. We're following the road of where we're getting really nervous over stuff. But yet, at the same time, we're always saying, I don't want the curse. I don't want the curse. I don't want the curse. And it's good to think that you can confess the blessings into your own life. And confessing the word is very important. But the purpose of confessing the word is to renew your mind so that you can step into action. Amen. 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 Glory to God. And you don't get... See, you don't get rewarded for renewing your mind. You get rewarded for the actions you take. Don't let a poverty mentality rob you from what God has for you. God wants you to abound, to excess, to excel, to have more than enough, to have an abundance, because there's things God wants you to do. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you can't go down to Winn-Dixie and buy eggs with faith. They don't take faith. They take money. When we fed the linemen out here, uh, right after the hurricane, we, we took care of a crew of 40 linemen out there. And Pastor Nid had to go out and get food for them every day. The grocery stores didn't take faith. They wanted money. Whether it be green, whether it be plastic, any form, except Bitcoin. They weren't taking Bitcoin yet. But... Other than that, you know, they want money because they work on a financial system. And to do things that God wants us to do, it's going to take money. And, you know, just like with the linemen, we were believing God for the funds to take care of them. Well, why didn't you just, you know, make a little bowl of of, of spaghetti and believe God to, to multiply it? Then you wouldn't have to spend money because we're not in a desolate place. There's grocery stores. See, Jesus was in a desolate place. And he said, where should we buy food for these? There's no place around to buy food. They're in a desolate place. He didn't say, oh, dear God, what are we going to do? We can't afford food for all these people. He didn't say that. They could afford it. Jesus had a big ministry, lots of money. But he said, where should we buy food? They were in a desolate place. Well, there's no place to buy it. But he took what they had, two sliders and five sardines. He took what he had, thanked the Father for it. Thank you for what's in my hand. So many people forget that, the thank thank God for what's in their hand. And they always want, well, that's not enough. That's not enough. I need more. And thank God for what you have in your hand. And um, so, therefore, he thanked God. And the food multiplied, remember? Because there was absolutely no place else to get anything that didn't fit this situation. We had to believe God for the funding, the finances, to be able to buy food for three weeks for breakfast and dinners for 40 men, plus all the extra air conditioning, the water, and everything else that went into their being here. 
And it was an honor and a blessing to be able to do it. And God supplied what was needed. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. Let me finish off by saying this. You got two minutes? Who give me two minutes? One, two, three, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. Glory to God. All right. Just real quick. Remember when Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel, number one, to the poor, to the poor. He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. It does not mean the poor in spirit. Oh, the poor in spirit, you know, they're poor in spirit. No, that's not what it means because nothing else in that means that. That's like, you know, Jesus, uh, the Paul talks about finances in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 9, all about finances. And then he says, you know, the grace upon the Lord that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you could be rich. Oh, that means spiritual. Doesn't mean spiritual. That had nothing to do with what Paul was talking about. And all of us, you know why we, we come up with these kinds of theologies? Because we don't think that. We can handle that. We, we don't, I, I don't see how that can work for me. So because it can't work for you or you can't see how it can work for you, you you're going to discount what God says in his word. How about pushing up to what God said instead of dra- dragging God down to what you think? How about coming up to his level of thinking and have what God says instead of trying to bring him down to your level and keep what you got? So when he says, I came to preach the gospel to the poor, he's not talking about poor in spirit. Because there's nothing else in that verse that has to do with spirit. It means the poor. I came to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. Why? Because the brokenhearted don't have peace in their life. They're poor. They have poverty in that area. To preach deliverance to the captives. Why? Because those that are held in captivity are in poverty. They're in bondage. They're bound up. He said to bring the recovery of eyesight to the blind. Because if people are blind, sick, and full of disease, then they're in poverty in the area of health. He came to set at liberty those that have been bruised of life because they're in poverty. They've been bruised. They're not... They're not in a soundness of an area of soundness in their life. They've been bruised. And all of their thinking and everything that they do is all based off of the bruising that they received in their life. Their soul has been damaged. They're in poverty. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord to let people know that this is the time that the grace of God will profusely abound, meaning you don't have to live in poverty in any area anymore. Glory to God. Glory to God. That would be a prosperous and life of good health. As your soul prospers, no longer bruised of life, no longer uh, held in captivity, no longer are you bound up, no longer are you the brokenhearted. But your soul is now prospering. And like it says in John, as your soul prospers, you will be in good health and you will prosper in life. Amen. The number one thing that needs to be taken care of in the area of poverty is our thinking. Number one area is our thinking. The the word of the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. 
and he invites you to come up, to think like he thinks and walk like he walks, and you can have everything that he has. Amen. Amen. Jesus paid the price for that. He shed his blood for you so that you could be free and walk free in life. Like the prodigal son's brother, we can get out of that place of bondage and come into the place of enjoying our sonship. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Huh? I wasn't. You want me to? We can. <laughs> I was kind of like wondering. Um, so, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Any area of life. Poverty. Poverty is a killer. Poverty is bondage. And it doesn't matter if it's, if you only think finances when you think poverty or prosperity, we're very limited in our thinking. It has to do with our whole life. Our whole life being prosperous. Free from the bondages. Free from the oppressions. Free from the captivity. Free from the sickness and disease and the lack. Free from it all. Like the song we sang today, I know that I know that I know that I'm free from the curse of the Lord. Poverty, sickness, and sin. I know that I'm free from it all. If I know that I'm free from it all, then I can walk free. I can live free. I can think free. And I can be free. Amen. And the more you change the way you think, the more you'll step into the advancements that God has for you. Amen. 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 So maybe you're here today and you realize I need to stretch in my thinking. I need to open myself up to receive more from the Lord. And, you know, the, the first step is to actually say, yes, that's me. I, I need to do that. You know, uh, God never says enough. So maybe we've gotten to the place in our life to where we're thinking, well, you know, it's enough. It's enough. But that's totally against the word of God. And we have to understand that. And you've got to get out of your personality and out of your emotions and get over into the truth of the word of God. The word of God never says enough. That you've got to let the things of God be like a fire that burns on the inside of you. Because the, the, the Bible talks in Proverbs that says one of the things that never says enough is what? Fire. When fire burns, fire never says, that's enough, I'm done burning. It continues to burn until there's nothing left to burn. It never says enough. And that's what needs to burn on the inside of us. The things of God needs to burn in us to where we never say enough. And when I say, if I start thinking it's enough, you have just thrown water on that fire. Yeah. And it's still smoldering, but you're not burning anymore. And it's time to get the burn activated again. Yes, Amen. So if you need that burn activated again in your life, I just invite you to come up. I'd like to pray with you. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Jude, can I have you come to the keyboard? You know, can you, can you play that song, uh, Free From The Curse? You know, the words of the song is, I know that I know that I know that I'm free from the curse of the Lord. Okay? I know that I know that I know that I'm free from the curse of the Lord. But that knowing has to go beyond just a mental knowledge. To know that I know that I know that I'm free from the curse of the Lord means I know it, I live it, I'm in that moving in that direction. I never say enough because the curse is what always wants to hold me back. The curse wants to bring me backwards and bring me down. But I'm moving forward. I'm stretching into the things of God. I'm stretching in to what God has for me. That even though things have increased in my life, God has been good to me. His word says to excel all the more. Never says enough. Never says you have enough. Never says you've done enough. Never says that there is enough. God wants to burn. Burn. Lift your hands to the Lord. Can you sing that, Jude? Thank you, Jesus. side of you. Side of her that from a young age that she'll not grow with a poverty thinking and poverty mentality but be free from it all in the name of Jesus. Burn, 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 burn in Jesus' name. Burn, burn, burn inside in Jesus' name. Burn, burn, burn in the name of Jesus. Burn, burn. Burn, burn, burn. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Burn, 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 burn. Thank you, Lord. Burn, burn. Burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it.
burn. Thank you, Jesus. Burn, 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 burn. Burn. Transferring of the anointing. Transferring of the anointing. starting to diminish even today. That wholeness comes back into your body in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, you just sang it. You sang it over and over and over and over again. So burn, burn in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name, praise your name, praise your name, praise your name. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the days that are ahead, you're going to need this to carry with you and deal with the things that are going to come upon the world. But as I said, if you'll keep in the place you need to be in, you will not be affected. You'll not be touched. Amen. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We give you the glory. Thank you, Lord, that you're more than enough. 
You are the glorious King and the mighty God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that the same anointing has gone out over live stream, gone out over podcast, and been received by those that are connected. And Father, I just thank you for it, that there's no distance in the spirit, and that that same freedom and that same anointing touches those that are connected with us, whether it's by live or whether it's by archive. I thank you, Lord, that your anointing does not wane just because of watching an archived service. But it's that same anointing, for it's on that same word. And we thank you for that. Now, Lord, if there's anybody in the place here today or on live stream or on podcast that you've never received Jesus as Lord of your life, you can. Jesus said in his word that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God does not put any requirements on us like man does. Well, if you go to church every Sunday, well, if you do all good works, well, if you give away money, if you do all these things, then you'll be saved. No, 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 that's just religious thinking. And if you read Acts chapter 15, you'll find out that that was what they tried to do. And James put an end to it and said, no, you do not put onto them a yoke. And it's just very simply, Jesus paid the price for us. He bore away our sin. He shed his blood so that we could be free. And all it is is accepting the sacrifice of the lamb that Father God has provided for us. And that when we accept his sacrifice, then he washes us clean in his blood and washes away all of our sin, and we become brand new in Jesus. So if you've never accepted Jesus into your life in the room, on live stream, or on podcast, we're all going to just pray together. And as we do, I want you to pray, but I want you to do business with God. And I just want you to say these things to God. God in heaven, heaven. I thank you for Jesus, that he died for me, paid for my sin, and shed his precious blood. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. And I say it out my mouth right now that you raised him from the dead, that he is alive. He is the reconciliation for my sin. I thank you for that, Father that you are now my father, Jesus is my brother, and the Holy Spirit has come to live in me. I thank you that you've changed me, made me brand new in Jesus. I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Now, if you've never prayed a prayer like that and you did pray that today, uh, if you've come with somebody, let them know. If you didn't come with anybody, just come and tell me. I prayed that prayer today. And um, if you're on live stream or on podcast and you prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know. Send us an email. And whether you're in the room or online, we'll send you a booklet and just tell you and let you know about what's happened to you today and how Jesus loves you, and he has got a great life planned for you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God.
Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for life in Jesus. And Father, I thank you that as we come before you with our giving, our tithes, our offerings, our seed. Oh, Father, I just thank you so much for what you put within our hand that we can take these and we can sow it and we do it in faith. We do it to worship you. We do it to honor you and we do it with a heart of thanksgiving. We thank you for the promises that you've attached to your word. That increase does come back to us, but we don't do it to get. We do it to receive from you so that we can continue in the things you would have us to do. We bless you, Father, for the fruit that comes back to us, fruit to share with others, and seed to sow back into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you need an envelope for cash or for credit card giving, if you'll raise your hand, the ushers will serve you. Uh, if you, uh, uh, There may be one right in front of you on the seat back. You can use those envelopes. If you joined us again on live stream or on podcast, thanks so much for being with us today. And I do pray that the word of God, the anointing of God has touched you right where you're at. And it brings up your level of thinking and your level of believing to take hold of and take another step into what God has for you in your life. He has good on his mind for you. And it is his desire, like the word of God says, to bring you to your wealthy place. Amen. If you'd like to sow seed into the kingdom, you go to our word, uh, go to uh, 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 online at our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. You can click on the giving link. Thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything that we can stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. Our prayer team is always ready to stand before the Lord for you because it's an honor to believe God for you, our partners. Amen.